I'm going to finish up what I started last week with you, talking about the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, and this week, uh, last week we talked about being a vessel of honor and being per- pursuing God in a way where we would be could be used by God with uh, through through the power of the Spirit. And today we're going to be talking about authority. And this is probably the more ouchy side of it um, because there's only a couple different ways. There's only a couple ways to do this. And as we get started, I want to play for you a little clip. Um, that may help you understand why I think this is so important. Okay, so. For those of you listening on podcast only, the video clip you're about to hear is four individuals. The first is Chris Valaton, the uh, lead prophet at Bethel Church in Redding, California. The second is Kat Kerr. The third is Todd Bentley. And the fourth is Brian Simmons, author of The Passion Translation. Well, the kingdom. We weren't supposed to go everywhere preaching salvation, which is good. But how I many of salvation is onto something bigger? Salvation is the entrance into the. Uh, I can tell you, he's in heaven. I've seen his mansion, and because Jesus also has a sense of humor, he built Patrick's mansion in a field of five foot tall shamrocks. <laughs> wow! Really? Yeah. You've so seen him in heaven. He did. I did. I saw him in heaven, and uh, so he's got all these shamrocks that sing to him, and they worship <laughs> Jesus Christ because. God has a sense of humor. And I'm thinking, God, why is not the power of God moving? He said, because you haven't kicked that woman in the face. And there's this older lady worshiping right in front of the platform. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me. The gift of faith came on me. He said, kick her in the face. With your biker boot. I inched closer and I went like this sealed with the Holy Spirit. I could show you the seven seals from the New Testament. Seven times it says you're sealed. The sealed book is you. He's the word, the volume of the book. It is written of him. We express the word. We are the word made flesh again. We are the reincarnation of Jesus Christ. Now, if you're thinking to yourself, that's messed up. That's called discernment. Because yes, that's messed up. Really messed up. Um, and this is what, what, I, what, I, what I want to do today. I, want, I need to, to preface two things before we get started today. I don't want to give you the idea that what I'm doing today is encouraging people to just go out and attack anyone that they think is a false teacher. That's not what we're doing here today, okay? Standing on a YouTube soapbox and yelling heretic and false teacher is not a good idea unless you have the grace for it and the calling to it. And if you're also willing enough to do the work behind it to be able to validate what you're talking about. There's a lot of people online who are just pointing at people, false teacher, false teacher, false teacher. And then you look at what they're, what they're, they're talking about. You're like, yeah, uh, no, actually, no. <laughs> because we assume we know something because of maybe our denomination or our, or our Christian background. Um, but we don't actually do the work to validate our own views. There's a lot of people online tossing around ac- accusations like, like it's candy. Um, and really, all it does, when you approach these things in an uninformed fashion, all it does is prove to the unchurched that the church can't even get along with itself. That's all it does. But at the same time, this is the second point, they're teaching a lie. And that has to be pointed out. We are commanded by scripture to call out false teaching. 
not for the hatred of the, per, of the person doing it, but for the benefit of the believer so that we may stay true to the, to the single message of the gospel. And I'll be honest with you, there's not a lot of people, I'd, I don't think anyway, I don't think there's a lot of people who are actually called to this type of ministry. I know that I am. And I, I know because of the burden that's in me. But I also know that when I started doing this, I did it very poorly. I did it very, very poorly. When I first started talking about false teaching, I did not do it well. It doesn't matter how true the point was, I did not do it well. So I want to spare you my mistakes, okay? Uh, because they were just that, mistakes. And all the people and the organizations that we're going to look at today, they are, ex- they are teaching something ex- extremely dangerous, and I want to show you that at the end. And I do mean extremely dangerous. But at the same time, you have to be able to approach the teaching without destroying the teacher. Because that teacher, no matter how false that doctrine is, is a creation of God, beloved by their creator. Jesus died for them. And they can come to repentance. So that's my prayer. When I approach these people, I I approach them in a way, I really want them to come to Christ, but I can't just leave their lie out there. And what I'm going to talk to you about today in relationship to the Holy Spirit is authority. And the first question I want to pose to you is this. Whom do you serve? That's what I want. That's the question I want you to think about today. Whom do you serve? It seems very innocuous, very, very unassuming question, right? Who do you serve? Well, I serve God, right? Yeah, absolutely. When you think about Joshua in uh, uh, 24, 14 through 15, this is, this is, um, uh, Israel has basically conquered most of Canaan. God has done amazing things for them, you know, and, uh, and Joshua, and they've started worshiping false gods, started mixing in pagan faith with their own faith. And Joshua says this, he says, now therefore fear the Lord. Serve him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river in Egypt. Serve the Lord. Now listen to this. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. Choice. You have a choice. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the uh, the gods of the Amorites... In whom, land, in whom land you dwell, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Choose for yourself this day whom you serve. You know what it didn't, he didn't say what? He said whom. Because your choices are pretty simple. You're either going to serve the Lord or you're going to serve you. There might be some nuance in between there, but people say, well, that person is serving the devil. No, they're not. They're serving themselves. Because they refuse to connect and submit themselves to the will of God. Joshua's question is about declaring authority in the life of an individual. And the answer you give should be the guiding principle for the rest of your life. You should be able to see the fact that that is whatever authority you choose, whether it be you or whether it be the Lord, that authority should be visible in the decisions that you make. It should be right there. In this season, we're talking about the birth of Christ. We're talking about the birth of the risen Savior, the one whom we serve. This is what we celebrate during this time of the year. And what the world really tries to oppose. You think about this. When we openly declare that we serve the will of another, we are also declaring at the same time that the will of the one that we serve is greater and more important than our own will. You cannot say, I serve at the will of God, 
and then put yourself and your desires above the will of God. See, it's, it's out of balance. Like people saying, I, I love Jesus. He saved my soul. He's, he's, he's the master of my life. So which church do you go to? Oh, I don't go to church. Wait, I'm sorry. What? I love Jesus, but I hate his family. <laughs> well, I got news for you. When you came to Christ, you married into that family as the bride of Christ. So guess what? Just like the spouse sitting next to you, you may not like their family, but you're in it. It's the way it works. You might only show up for Christmas dinner and Easter dinner, but you know, hey, (laughs) it's still the family of God. And the idea is that we set aside our goals and we serve the goals of another. And sometimes we serve the goals of another to our own detriment. We take what we want, we set it aside, no matter how much we want it, and we serve the will of another. And it might sound something like this. God wants you to go on a missions trip to such and such place, but that's the same time that you want to take your vacation. Oh, well, God's not going to ask me to use my vacation time to serve him in a foreign country and tell people about Jesus who don't know him. That's silly. God's going to work on my boss and he's going to give me the time for free and then pay me to go. Maybe that would be cool. If you have that kind of a job, keep it. But chances are that's not what God's going to do. God's going to ask you to set aside that thing that you value and make it less important than what he's asking you to do. That's what God's asking you to do. That's the authority of whom you serve. We willingly subject ourselves to the will of another. This is not easy, and it takes work. It takes work. No one does it immediately. We just find places in our life where we have it backwards, and then when, when, when God makes that, that, that knowledge available to us, we, we, we flip. We learn. We work out our salvation with fear and trembling. It's really easy to say, I serve God. It's very difficult to live in a manner where the service to God is consistent with the claim. When it comes to the church and walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, this idea of authority and whom we serve has gone to never-before-seen levels in the modern church. The authority of the Holy Spirit has changed in such dramatic ways that it, what I want to show you today, it has never existed in modern times. It may have been prevalent in some way in the first century church, but it has not existed in almost 2,000 years. This is so new, and it's happened in the last 100 years. Last week, we learned that the power of God through the Holy Spirit is found in one place, the will of God. The only place where the power of God works is in the will of God. And if you're out of the will of God, then you have you don't have the power of God. The power of God is not like a coin that you can put in your pocket and just carry around with you and you whip it out whenever you need something. The power of God is what should be driving us. It should be what, what's guiding us. We don't go somewhere and declare the power of God is here now because I'm here. The power of God comes on you and says go and you go and the power of God is with you because you're being obedient to the power of God to the leading of the Holy Spirit. That's how the power of God works. We submit ourselves to the leading of the Spirit. It is not the other way around. We saw that very clearly last week. We can come before God and ask him to intervene on behalf of another. But in the end, it is still up to God to say yes or no. 
isn't it? Our job is to trust that choice. When we come before God and say, God, we just ask you to heal this person, release this person, free this person, save this person, all of that is good and all of that is what we should be doing, but it is up to God to decide yay or nay. Whether he's going to intervene or not intervene. You see, because we can't see where things are going. God can. And the very thing we're asking for may be something that causes terrible harm in their life down the road. Or makes them unable to minister to someone down the road. The very pain we might be trying to escape may be the tool that God needs to wake somebody else up to his spirit and his freedom and his forgiveness. Eternity. Salvation through Christ. That may be the very thing that they need. They need to see you dealing with this, whatever it is, and still believing. That may be the thing that needs to turn, they need to, to see to turn them around. Why would God take that from you? Because remember, God's goal is not your comfort on this earth. God's goal is that we would be with him forever in heaven. What's the longest we're going to live here? 100, 110 years, Maybe. Like if you're one of those crazy health people that only drinks juice, you know. I'm not one of those people. Okay. I'm one of those guys that would be really old, laying in a bed in a hospital room. Someone goes, can I bring you anything? I look at him and say, a Twinkie. <laughs> Doctor say, don't do that. It'll kill him. And I'll say, good. I'll die with a smile on my face and creamy filling on my lips first thing I want to say to Jesus when I open my eyes is that was delicious. This is just not that long. But we cling to this life as though it's the only thing that exists, but it's not. This is temporary, folks. This is a bus stop on the way to forever. So God's not overly concerned about our comfort here. He's he's concerned about there. So we have to learn to trust him, not us, because we're fallible. So for about the last hundred years or so, the modern church, especially the charismatic church, has been divided in ways um, that has, has been has opened up in, in new and fantastic ways. I talked to you a little bit about the Azusa Street Revival last week. Um, but the divide is not whether or not the gifts exist. Remember, we're talking about the charismatic church, the Pentecostal church specifically, which is us, by the way. Um, like I said, I'm a, I'm, I'm a charismatic pastor. I'm just not a very good one. Okay, um, so you, you'll understand that here in a little bit. Um, now, on one side of, the, of this argument, you have what I would consider a biblical approach towards the spiritual gifts. It's an approach of humility, patience, and obedience, following the leading of the Holy Spirit. And on the other side, you have what I will call a mystical approach. And it's filled with pride, desire, and arrogance. And I'm going to show you this here in a minute. There are many people in these organizations, and there are many organizations um, there's not just one group that's doing this. There are many groups that are doing this, uh, that, that are teaching what I'm going to show you. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to focus on one group in, specifically because they are the loudest voice in the entire conversa- conversation. By far, across the globe, when people talk about these doctrines, this is the church and this is the person that they're talking about. And it's Bethel Church, Redding, California, and Pastor Bill Johnson. By far, they are the loudest voice across the world in this argument. Last week, we answered the question from the scriptures, where does the gifts of the Holy Spirit come from? All the gifts are given and ordained by God. Our role is to be available and willing to serve. And Bill Johnson has said from the stage multiple times, he agrees with that statement. The problem is, 
their teaching and their practice says something very different. He says, oh, of course, of course it's all about Jesus. But when you actually read the material and you actually listen to the sermons, you actually see what they're doing, you see something very, very different. What they teach is that the power of the Holy Spirit is a power that one must attain. You have to go get it. You have to understand and grow it as part of your own spiritual authority. Let me say that again. Not walking under God's spiritual authority, but part of your own personal spiritual authority to make things happen here on earth. One of the things he says in, uh, in, in his book, uh, When Heaven Invades Earth, he says, most Christians repent enough to be forgiven, but not enough to see the kingdom. Most Christians repent enough to be forgiven, but not enough to see the kingdom. What an arrogant statement. So what he's saying is you can trust in God, but if you don't trust in God and you, and you don't do what I'm doing, you're not really a Christian. You're just squeaking in the door, but you're not really doing what God wants you to do. Because if you really did what God wants to do, you would have what I'm telling you you should have in your life. According to their teaching, our goal as a believer is not salvation, but spiritual power. And this comes from a, a, a belief called dominionism, which I don't have time to get into today. But the basic idea is this, and, I, and, and look this up for yourself because I'm not making this up. Dominionism, which is the core teaching of this group, it's called the New Apostolic Reformation, means this. It means that we are to take dominion on this earth, and we are to make this earth like heaven. We are to make it so good and so amazing. We are to take control of all areas of life through all, through, through, through spiritual power that we have. We are to control everything in the world through entertainment, through industry, through government, through, through, uh, through social media, all of it. And we're supposed to make it so good that it looks like heaven. And then Jesus comes down. You see, so Jesus hasn't returned because the earth doesn't look like heaven. Now, anyone who's ever read the Bible, <laughs> because obviously they've never read anything about the end times, did you notice that that doesn't, that's not what it says? The Bible doesn't say, and in the end, humanity, through their own spiritual power, will make the earth so amazing that Jesus just has to come back. It's not what it says. It says, by the end, we will be asking for death so that this can be over, and it will get so bad, then Jesus will return. See, we, we've got some problems here. So when you find people, if you're listening to people teaching and they say something like this, if they're ever talking about what's called the seven mountain mandate or how you need to activate your spiritual gifts, you know you're talking to someone who believes what I'm about to show you. And they believe in what's called dominion theology. They may not know the name, but that's what, they're, that's what they're preaching. So I want to take a minute and look at this idea of, uh, of salvation. You remember the clip we saw right in the beginning? The first guy, Chris Vallotton, said we're not supposed to go around the world preaching salvation, which is good. Where did he get that idea? He's the lead prophet at Bethel Church. He's Bill Johnson's number two guy. He's also one of the leaders, uh, one of the uh, presidents of the, uh, Bi- the Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry, BSSM. The students at BSSM call it Hogwarts, by the way. They, they, they're learning Christian witchcraft. That's their term, not, not mine. 
they get it from their dominion theology, but they also get it from the teaching, the core teaching of Bethel Church and Bill Johnson. Here's a quote from Bill Johnson's book, When Heaven Invades Earth, which, by the way, is a New York Times bestseller. He sold hundreds of thousands of copies of this book, and I've met Christians all over the place who have these books, and they think it's the most amazing thing. It lets me know they're not actually paying attention to what they're reading. Listen to this. There is a difference between the immediate and ultimate goals. Success with an immediate goal makes it uh, possible to reach the ultimate goal, but failure in the immediate prevents us from reaching our final goal. Bowlers know this. Each lane has only 10 pins at the far end. It also has markers in the lane itself. A good bowler knows his own, uh, his or how his or her ball rotates as it's released from the hand. Bowlers will aim at a marker in the lane as it, uh, as an initial target. Now listen, yet they receive no points for hitting it. That's an important line. Points are only given when the ultimate target is hit, the pins at the end of the lane. Likewise, salvation was not the ultimate goal of Christ's coming. It was the immediate target, the marker in the lane. Something, by the way, you'd get no points for being saved. There's nothing about your, it's nothing worth it in your life. It's just a thing that you have to do. Without accomplishing redemption, there was no hope for the ultimate goal, which was to fill each born-again person with the Holy Spirit, God's desire for the believer to overflow with himself, that we might be filled with the fullness of God. I read that at a minister's meeting once. Everyone there said the same thing. I had the book covered. I had a, like, you know, you know, little grocery bag kind of cover over the top of it, little brown paper thing. And I said, what do you guys think? And I said, that's, every, every one of them, that is heresy. You shouldn't trust anyone who would say something like that. It doesn't matter what the rest of their teachings are. You can't trust anything that comes out of that person's mouth. So that's very interesting. Most of them had the book. None of them remembered reading it. They didn't remember reading that. And this kind of stuff is all through the book. It's all through the book. Then they started defending him and told me I was misrepresenting him. I might add, I was reading it from his own book. He goes on in chapter one, he says this, we no longer make excuses for powerlessness because powerlessness is inexcusable. Our mandate is simple. Raise up a generation that can openly display the raw power of God. Doesn't that sound so good? I want to learn how to openly display the raw power of God. I want to call fire down on people. You go through the Old Testament, you know, the prophet sitting under the tree. Are you so-and-so? Well, if I am, may fire consume you from heaven. Blam! That was so cool! Do it again! We don't have that authority. Powerlessness is inexcusable in the life of a believer. Inexcusable, according to their teachings. We're supposed to learn to put away our doubt and take up and use the power that they say is rightfully ours. The less doubt we have, the more power we walk in. And they say that power should be openly displayed. Now, let me ask you something. The only way you can openly display power is if that power is yours. 
if the authority to use it is yours, if that power is at your command. You cannot openly display power and authority that does not belong to you. Because then it's not openly displayed. It's displayed through obedience. There's a difference between the person who has the authority and the person who has been granted authority. Those are two very different things. So I'll give you, I'll give you a, a, a little example. I had a general manager working for me in, in, uh, in one, of, one of my restaurants in Sackett's a long time ago. And he was just kind of screwing around. And um, I, I'm, I'm the operations officer for the company that owns the restaurants. I'm the guy with the authority. Okay? My general managers have been granted authority. And he was screwing off, and things were going bad, and the restaurant was starting to, get, starting to go down. I get a little phone call. This is all the phone call said. You need to come up here. So okay. So I walked up, and believe me, it was not going well. This is all I did. I walked in, and I looked at him. Roger knows exactly what I'm doing. Samantha was there. She'll tell you. Suddenly, he decided to do his job. And everything got better. Why? Because the one who had the authority was now there. And the one who was granted authority knew he was making a mistake. He was mishandling his authority. He was not doing what he was asked to do. Because what he was asked to do was not his choice. That choice was given to him by the one with the authority. We all exist in that structure. And when it comes to the power of the Holy Spirit, we are never the ones with the authority. We are only the ones who have been granted authority because of our obedience to the one who has the authority. You understand what I'm saying? But people will say things like this. You have the mind of Christ. Therefore, your thoughts are God's God's thoughts and your desires are God's desires. Wait a minute, but the Bible says my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways. That's completely opposite to what the Bible tells me. But it's okay because powerlessness is inexcusable in the life of a believer. With that mindset, let me ask you a question. Who has the authority? Us or him? With this mindset... It's us. Which is completely wrong. Now, another element of their teaching is the reclaiming of lost power. At the same time, there are practices of power that have been lost over time and are now being used by the powers of darkness and things like the New Age. And so we need to learn to reclaim those lost practices of power that are being used by the world of darkness. Does that sound odd to you? It should. Okay? I come from, before I was a Christian, I was involved in pagan witchcraft. Um, This, every time I read about it, makes the what little hair I have on the back of my neck stand up. I mean, you'd never be able to see it, but I can tell. So we're supposed to go out and reclaim what they say are lost powers. And you can do this in a couple of different ways. One way that from my research, and I've done quite a bit of this, started at Bethel Church in Redding, California. It's called grave soaking. 
I'm not making this up. This is when you go to the grave of an old revivalist and you lay on it. Because, you know, when they died, their anointing stayed on them. Because, you know, it's about them. And now it's in the ground. And it's just waiting for believers to come and soak it up. Okay? Am I the only one who is going, I'm sorry, what? Now, Bill Johnson has been questioned about this, and Bethel leaders have been questioned about this, and they all say this. We don't do this. We don't do this. This is a lie. People are making this up. Um, the lady in the top is Benny Johnson, Bill Johnson's wife, who has since passed away, um, on the grave of C.S. Lewis. The bottom, the grave that she is hugging, is Charles Finney. On her own social media account, she posts this as, Things I do. The picture next to it is Bill Johnson at the grave of Smith Wigglesworth. This is a Bethel pastor. Now, there's a video going on with this, but it was a long video, so I didn't want to put it up there. Um, who led a group of Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry students to the grave of Smith Wigglesworth so that they could grab the leftover anointing. He says this in the video. Please go to YouTube and check it out because they've posted it. To grab the leftover anointing so that they can walk in the same revival power that he had. This is not the first time that Bethel leaders have been caught lying about their spiritual views. And I do mean lying. They say, we don't mix pagan practices in with our Christian worship. That would be heresy. No one should trust us if we do that. That's ridiculous. And then they put this book out. The Physics of Heaven. This is required reading at the Bethel, Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry. And here's a couple quotes from it. It says, I have found throughout, throughout Scripture at least 75 examples of uh, things that the New Age has counterfeited, means they've stolen from us that we need to reclaim, su such as <clears throat> having sp a spirit guide, trances, meditation, auras, power objects, clairvoyance, clairaudience, and more. All of these are condemned by Scripture. All of them. But wait, there's more. While my own dreams simmered, other former hippies quietly morphed the dream of a new age into a multi-faceted belief system dedicated to achieving heightened spiritual consciousness. This new consciousness was going to transform society not by protests or by turning on, turning in, and dropping out, but by developing, please listen, the powers of the mind aligned with positive energies and removing physical, mental, and emotional blockages to enlightenment. The burgeoning New Age movement began eagerly accepting and experimenting with Eastern and Native American religious practices, metaphysical philosophies, alternative healing methods, and altered states of consciousness. This is required reading for their students. But they don't mix New Age practices with Christianity. At least that's what they say publicly. And people go, oh, well, they said it. So obviously it's true. One of the founders of the New Apostolic Reformation, who actually coined the name, by the way, is C. Peter Wagner. C. Peter Wagner's been around for a long time. He's well-known by a lot of people. C. Peter Wagner's done a lot of good work. He has. 
But I want you to listen to something that is a core part of his teaching. I suggest that it may be possible to receive selected but valid information from the world of darkness itself. Certain people, such as shamans, witch doctors, practitioners of Eastern religions, New Age gurus, or professors of, uh, of, the, uh, professors of the occult, sorry, uh, left that word out, on university faculties, are examples of the kind of people who may have a much more extensive knowledge of the spirit world than most Christians have. I hope that weirds you out as much as it should. Anyone remember the Latter Rain Movement? You've been around long enough to remember that. This—that's where this all started. The Latter Rain Movement became very popular. I think in the uh, uh, early six, early or late sixties, something like that. And then it was basically categorized as a Christian cult, and then it disappeared for a little while, and now it has reemerged as the New Apostolic Reformation. The guy at the front of the ship is Bill Johnson. But because of Jesus culture and Bethel music, no one wants to say anything. How could it be wrong if they're so big? Having a large ministry doesn't mean you have a good ministry. It's kind of funny. No one wants to question uh, uh, Bill Johnson, but they have no problem trashing the Catholic Church. Isn't that funny? But I'll tell you what. Dollar for dollar, I'd tell you that there are more saved people in the Catholic Church than there are at Bethel. Because at least their faith is in Jesus. They may have some messed up views, but at least their faith is in Jesus. When you're trying to learn how to capture lost practices of power used by the new age so that you can use them to your advantage, who are you trying to serve? Who is the authority that you're coming under? When you're trying to reclaim the power of light, energy, vibration, and quantum physics, which is what's in this book, that's their goal. You're trying to gain power for yourself. You're not coming under the authority of God. You want to be the one who has the authority, not have to wait to be the one who's granted authority. There's a difference. There's a big difference between those two things. The last piece to this twisted little puzzle is that why they believe we need to seek out this kind of power. Why is it that any Bible-believing Christian would believe that we, as people who have been saved and sanctified and forgiven by the shed blood of Jesus Christ, should be trying to, to gain this kind of independent spiritual authority over the world around us? Why is it that we should be doing that? The Bible tells us to trust, to stand our post, to put our faith in him, to wait to be obedient. It doesn't tell us to move in this direction, but there's one piece of scripture that is being taught and twisted that tries to get people to understand that you should have the same power that Jesus had while he was on earth. It's Philippians 2, 5 through 8, and this is called kenosis. It says, let this uh, mind be with you, which is, was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God 
but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, becoming like in the likeness of men. Being, a found, uh, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. A lot of translations will say he laid aside his divinity. And this is what they claim. He, meaning Jesus, performed miracles, wonders, and signs as a man in right relationship to God, not as God. That's their teaching. If he performed miracles because he was God, then they would be unattainable for us. Did you hear that? If what Jesus did, he did as God and not as a man, then they wouldn't be attainable for us. But if he did them as a man, then I am responsible to pursue his lifestyle. The underlying premise here is that if you are in right standing with God, all of the power, all of the power that was available to Christ is now available to you. You can do what Jesus did. You can walk on water. You can cast a thousand demons out of someone. You can feed 5,000, right? Wouldn't it be cool to just like make food? All you need is a can of sardines and a Ritz cracker and you can feed the world. There's an awesome example when the disciples came back from, from uh, when Jesus sent them out and they came back and they said, it was great, this was so amazing. We did, it was so awesome, this is great. But there's this one person here, we couldn't get the demon out of this person. And Jesus said, oh, this one only comes out through prayer and fasting. Then you know what he said after that? Now get out. You think about that. This one only comes out through prayer and fasting. Now get out. There was no prayer and fasting. How many times did demons run to Jesus and fall down because they knew who he was? But didn't Jesus say that we were going to do greater works than him? John 14, 12. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will also do. And greater works than these will he do because I go to my Father. Isn't Jesus telling us there that we're going to do things that are more powerful, more amazing? We're going to have so, we're going to have power that he couldn't dream of because he's going to the Father and he's going to send that power to us. No. Uh, haven't heard anybody uh, heard about anybody walking on water. Haven't heard any uh, any stories about anyone dying for my sins. The problem is that it's a messed up reading of that particular scripture. There are three problems with this view. The first problem is is very simple. Jesus is not saying that we will do works greater in power than he did. What he is saying is that we will have uh, what we will do will have a greater impact. It will have a greater reach. It will move through more of the world than he has the ability to move it through because he's going to the Father. His ministry only lasted three and a half years. We've got the rest of time until he returns to spread the gospel message. It will be greater, but not in quality, simply in quantity. But that makes it greater. We're taking his message to the world and he's going home. His work is done. Ours was just getting started. The second problem with this line of thinking is that it assumes that spiritual power can come from God or a deeper understanding of the natural spiritual world. God can give us power if he wants, but I can also go get it myself through understanding. That's called Gnosticism and it's a heresy. Paul condemned it over and over again through the New Testament. 
Now, Bethel teaches that you have to be brave enough to go off the map. You have to go beyond the book. They tell you that the Bible is only, be- only the beginning, but the real power is when you go beyond Scripture. When you increase your understanding so you're no longer just reliant upon the book, one of Bill Johnson's favorite sayings is, it's not Father, Son, and Holy Bible. But Paul writes this to Timothy. Timothy, guard what God has entrusted to you. Avoid godless, foolish discussion with those who oppose you with their so-called knowledge. Some people have wandered from the faith by following such foolishness. May May God's grace be with you all. The third problem with this line of thinking is to believe that we have the potential to walk in the same power as G- of Jesus is the height of human arrogance. It tries to make us potentially equal to Christ on earth. Think about, take that to its logical conclusion. If we get to a state of righteousness, it's enough, we will be as Christ was on earth. That's the claim. To say that Christ was not God, but only a man in right standing with God is to say that any of us could have gone to the cross if we could have just done what Jesus did. And this opens the door to salvation by works and it assumes that a person actually could save themselves if they were good enough. And what it proves is that the people putting this doctrine out, they actually don't know what salvation is. One of the challenges, I've, got, I've, got, I've known a few people over the years who have actually met Bill Johnson. They have a real high esteem for him. I've been, uh, every time I do a message like this, uh, or if I do a podcast, talk about Bill Johnson, I lose friends. It's really, it's, it's, it's just the way it works. Um, but I put the same challenge out to every one of them, and I know people are watching online, and there'll be people watching the, uh, listening on the radio next week. This is my challenge. Find me a clip of Bill Johnson teaching the gospel message, a plain gospel message of salvation through repentance and the forgiveness of sin, you will not find it anywhere. I've had this challenge out for more than five years. It, they don't exist because he doesn't believe that the gospel as portrayed in the Bible is valid. That's why he calls his the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of Jesus not the gospel message. Jesus said, I am, uh, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. I was asked by a person, one of the last times I did a series on this, who was, I would, I'm just gonna say, and I'm, gonna, I'm gonna finish with this, who was less than happy about um, what I was speaking Uh, And their question was this, what's the harm in encouraging people to trust and pursue the power of the Spirit? Because Paul tells us to eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. So what's the problem with the way they're teaching? How is this such such an issue? And it comes down to this. Matthew 7, 15 through 23 reads like this. Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep. They look, they sound like Christians, but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit. That is, by the way that they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, 
Just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. Now look at where he finishes. A lot of times we stop there. This is the very next sentence. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. Stop there for a minute. Only those who actually do the will of my Father. That's the fruit. That's the fruit that we should be looking for. What is the will of the Father? What Jesus is going to show you next is what is not the will of the Father. It says, On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and perform many miracles in your name. But I will reply, reply to them, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's law. When you start looking into pagan practices, what you're going to be surprised is you're going to find prophecy, you're going to find healings, you're going to find miracles, signs, and wonders. In all pagan practices, you will find those things. So when people say, I operate in the gifts of the Spirit, my first question is, when did you get saved? Tell me about your relationship with Christ. Tell me about your forgiveness of sin. What, who were you before and who are you now? What difference does that make? Look at, the, look at the power I walk in. Here's something I can promise you. God is never going to grant you his authority to wield at will. But the enemy will. From someone who comes from a pagan background, believe me in this. God is never going to give you the authority to wield his power at will. But the devil will. Why? Because it will keep you in a place where you never actually meet Jesus. Any message, any doctrine, any view that focuses on the display of spiritual power above the gospel message of salvation is a message that may look good, but it does not save. And the reason it does not save is because the authority is in the wrong place. The authority is on us. The outcome is on us. The responsibility is on us. The power is on us. Which is directly contrary to the teachings of Scripture. The authority is His. The responsibility is His. The power is His. The choices are His. We are simply obedient vessels of honor. Our goal is to reduce ourselves, to eliminate the noise in our mind so that we may hear God more clearly, so that we may carry out his will as he decides, at the time he decides, in whatever manner he decides.